The reading is uh, the book of Jude, chapter 1, verses 17 to 25. But you must remember, beloved, the, pre- the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is God's word. Amen. So we are at the end of... Our short study in the book of Second Peter and Jude. So, if you remember a few weeks ago when we started, I put a seed into the ground because we've been using this plant as our little picture and metaphor uh, for why Peter was written from Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these things, these basic truths of the faith, though you know then... Though you know them and are established, and that word established, what is it? Sterizo. The idea is something you attach to that is truthful. I feel like I'm now hiding in the plant. Permanent, something that will last, something that gives you stability. So this little trellis, this little stick is the idea. And if you can see where it had unlocked last week, the little tendrils have wrapped themselves around the stick in a number of ways, and this is going to be, as a matter of fact, we're getting some fruit off of here. We're getting little pea pods coming. So it's pretty cool to think that because this is establishing itself, attaching itself to something that is going to keep it from just flopping over and dying, it is growing, it is healthy, and uh, so this is the idea that Peter wants, because he says there are people out there within the church, not in the world, but in the church, who are teaching you things that are going to be false and are going to lead you astray. And he says, don't be surprised that this is going to happen. So for both Jude and for Peter, this has been one of the themes of the book, is that as Peter is facing his own death, he says, I want to remind you of what you already know. Hold on to the truth. And we have in our world today people who would teach and say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fit to do this. And then they would teach for their own purposes things that are not found in Scripture. So that's the thing we want to keep reminding ourselves. Let's not be uh, surprised that this comes. Sometimes when we hear of a, a Christian teacher, maybe one we liked, somebody we really admired, and they go off the rails spiritually, we are, I am surprised. Uh, frankly, I don't take this... Uh, and remind myself as much, I go, I can't believe that person is teaching something that's so contrary to Scripture. Scripture says, don't be surprised that this is happening. 
So in picking up, I just want to, we're going to close with uh, the last words from both Peter and Jude this morning, because they, again, very similar. The books have a lot of similarities in them. But last week, as Peter was really coming against these false teachers, two concepts were, uh, that he brought up were time and fire. So at the end of, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, the last chapter, he's talking about, look, you, these scoffers, these scoffing scoffers who are telling you, hey, you know, you don't have to listen to what the apostles say or what Jesus said. We're telling you the truth. Peter's response is, look, their reasoning is that it's been so long since, uh, you know, the Lord left and he said he was coming back, but it's been years now and nothing's happened. And Peter says, remember, time is not like you think it is. That with God, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So for them, 30 years or so after Jesus is gone, he's saying, look, it's like five seconds to God. For us, 2,000 years later, it's like two days. Two days around here is not that late. You know, sometimes our emails get stuck in our box a lot longer than two days. So he's saying we can't measure time and judge God on our timing. God's timing is far different. Anybody who's been walking with the Lord more than about a month knows that God's timing and our timing end up being very different sometimes. And so he says, look, bank on God always being on time. God is never late and he's never early. And so... The fact that he has not come back again in his glory, the glory that Peter said I was an eyewitness to on the Mount of Transfiguration, don't take that as, well, God's late, he's not coming. Take it as he's being patient to give you a chance to come into relationship with him. Because the truth of the matter is, is that once time has run out, there won't be another chance. And that's not meant to scare you, that's, that's meant to be biblical truth, is that God is, has been patient to wait, and a lot of people say, oh, well, tomorrow, I'll, I'll get my relationship with God, you know, I'll deal with it later, next year, after I've had my fun, or after I've done what, maybe I'll think about God another time. He says, don't bank on, oh, well, I've always got time, there'll always be tomorrow, Peter says there will come a day, the day of the Lord, and where there won't be a tomorrow. And so experience the joy of God today while you have the opportunity. So time, and then the second concept he brought in is fire. That The first time the earth was destroyed by flood, and it was purged and cleansed from the evil that was in the world. And Peter says the next time it will be with fire. And fire generally has two purposes, right? One we think of, you just destroy everything. You just burn it up. We burn things and they're gone. But fire also has a refining purpose. The difference will be the things are done in the Lord, in faith, are refined. Faith gets refined. Things that are done for us get destroyed. Paul brings up the exact same concept, and he says it really well in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's exactly what Peter is referring to here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul, speaking of his own ministry, says he was building on what Jesus had done, Jesus the very cornerstone. And in uh, 
1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, those things that are lasting, those things that are done in faith, and then he says, or wood, hay, and stubble, those things that are done for yourself without mind or in any reference to God, he says, each work will become manifest for the day of the Lord. We talked about that concept, the day when God makes things right. It will disclose the work because it will be revealed by what? Fire. Same thing Peter talks about. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If you've built upon that it survives, you'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. This isn't a matter of salvation in, the, in, in Paul's language. It's a matter of what we do as believers. So, But for Peter, it's not only that, but it's also talking about, uh, in Jude, snatching people out of the fire, that which would destroy the individual themselves. So, now these final words, the last words of these. Um, in verse 14, I'm going to go to 2 Peter, then to Jude. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, what? What's these? These things to appear, to occur, the Lord to come, and for time to stop as we know it. Since you are waiting for this future event, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Okay. So since we are waiting, first thing that Peter tells us to do is to allow, this is, life, this is a life lesson here, allow a proper future focus to deal with your present priorities. We, I see this all the time, maybe you've seen it too. My, my, uh, my own personal example was many years ago, I'm playing golf and uh, I'm out on a, just sitting right by the, on the golf cart. Someone else is hitting. I'm watching them hit. I'm just kind of standing by the golf cart. And all of a sudden I hear, just as fast can be. And a golf ball from through the woods from another hole hits. I mean, I could feel it kind of graze my head. I, I would say it grazed my hair. but And it hits the golf cart and shakes the cart. It's moving so fast. And I mean, I could feel it past my head. It was so fast, though. And the people I was playing with, everyone was just shocked how fast it came. It was one of those, somebody hit a terrible shot from another hole, a dog leg, it had gone all the way through the woods on the fly. And we were all just stunned. There was enough, I had no time to react to it, no time to think. But what every, was clear for everyone was one inch lower, and that thing hits me in the side of the temple, and who knows what happens, um, but could, could have been very, very serious. For, I would say, six hours, my perspective on life changed. The rest of the golf round, I actually played a brilliant, some of the best golf I've ever played, because I didn't care about the golf shot. I was so relaxed. I was alive. I was, I was, I mean, I was thinking, I ought to enjoy the next nine holes because I'm alive, you know? And so I was relaxed and free and came back. And, you know, what, what did I want to do? I wanted to go and tell Nancy how much I loved her. I wanted to hug everybody when, when we could still hug. And there was this total revamping of my priorities. 
I have, I have a friend who's gotten some um, bad prognosis of a, of a long-term illness, and it's taken a downturn, and we're praying, and, and I, I'm believing for an upturn, but this person, it's, it's been a tough season for them, and their reaction, it's been really interesting, their reaction has been not to just sink into depression or to uh, get watch TV more, but they've bought, they've, they've decided they've always wanted to be a musician. And so hours and hours a day, they, he's, he's now bought uh, guitars and drums and a full kit. His basement apparently is just, I can't see it, but his basement is apparently just like a music studio and he's writing songs and playing. And there's this sense because his future all of a sudden is focused differently because he doesn't know what the time is and it seems like his end may be sooner, perhaps. So it's changing his priorities now. I see this when I go on short-term mission trips. I see it when the future seems different, our priorities now. The question is, how do we live in this? How do we live in this when we think, just like some of the people were teaching then, oh, tomorrow, it'll just be another day. Well, let me suggest to you that the Bible t- talks to us about this balance because you don't want to live in fear. And you don't want to say, well, I'll just quit my job and I'll just spend all my money because I'm going to die tomorrow or I could die tomorrow. And so, No, we don't know. And so there's this balance of it says, since you are waiting... Be diligent to be found, what? Without spot or blemish and at peace. Because if our future is eternally secure, if we know that the fire that comes, whether it's the fire of a pandemic, whether it's the fire of uh, bad news, like my friend, uh, where we're taking a a difficult news uh, physically, something else, you say, well, I'm at peace. Why can I be at peace in the midst of this bad news? Because my my future is totally secure. Because I know the one whose fire, my my God who is a consuming fire, isn't going to burn up the things that will last. He's going to refine me. He's going to refine you. If what we do is based in the love of God, loving others as ourselves, forgiving, doing the things that Jesus taught us to do. And this is what Peter, with his last words, is trying to communicate to those who are listening to him, to those whose spiritual lives he has an impact on. I want to make one comment that's unique in all of Scripture in the New Testament. And... Paul, Peter comments on the writing of Paul, which is the only time we see uh, a New Testament characters commenting on their own letters. There's two places, one little comment and this major comment, but it's very important to us in terms of how we get this uh, idea of God's holy word and what we're basing on. So look with me, if you have your Bible, at 2 Peter 3.16, one of those 3.16s. Uh, we'll, we'll, jump, we'll jump start into 15. Um, our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. 
as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, the matters of which we looked at in Corinthians and other things that Paul writes about. And then Peter makes this comment. There are some things in them, his letters, that are hard to understand. They are for me too, Peter, I get you. I feel you. Which the ignorant and unstable, those false teachers we've been talking about, twist to their own destructions as they do the other scriptures. Now that word's really important. Graphe, the word for scripture, is used 50 times in the New Testament, only used when people are referring to what they knew as the canon of scripture, the Old Testament that was agreed upon, the law and the prophets that were agreed upon to be God's holy word. It's only used as all those times when it says, as the scripture says, and he quotes Deuteronomy, or Jesus says, as the scripture teaches, and only used in that context, except here, where he says, as they do the other inspired writings. So Peter is acknowledging, not his own writings at this time, but Paul's writings as inspired by God. You, therefore, beloved, know this beforehand. Take care that you are not carried away with error of lawless people. So we contrast Paul's truth, the graphe that Paul is writing, versus the falsehood that they are writing about. So there's one other part in Paul, uh, I think it's Corinthians, where he speaks of uh, Jesus' words, and Jesus said, uh, the laborer is worthy of his hire, and Paul says, that is graphe too. But coming from Jesus' mouth, we would kind of expect it to be Holy Scripture, but this is really important that Peter refers to here just a few decades after uh, the resurrection, he ref- already refers to Paul's writings as Scripture, inspired by God. So, this last uh, verse or two of Second Peter, he says, don't be carried away with the error of lawless people. Again, that's, one, that's the theme of Second Peter and Jude. And then he says, if you do that, if you listen to people, remember, these people are gifted, they, are, they sound authoritative, they're probably very attractive, um, but he says, you don't know their lives. And I, I see their lifestyle, and it doesn't match up to what they're teaching. So not, not only is their teaching false, but their lifestyle says they're not following the Lord. Now, we have a challenge here because we live in a day where you can listen to teaching all over the Internet or wherever, and we have no idea what people's lives are like. So we just have to be diligent and cautious to not only examine someone's teaching, but as much as possible to be sure that their lives, to the extent we can, I have a lot of confidence when I, the more I know someone personally to listen to their teaching, even if it's not the most exciting presentation, truth in and of itself is incredibly exciting. So he says, if you listen to to people who are teaching you error, what you're going to lose in verse 17 is what? Your own stability. Care to guess what that word is? Sterizo. It goes right back to this initial concept. You're going to lose this. For the sake of the plan, I was going to rip this off so it would just fall over. But when you begin to listen to people who are not teaching Scripture, but in these areas he talked about, in the areas of greed, in the areas of sexuality, in the areas of who Jesus Christ is, and begin to listen to people who are teaching falsely, you lose your sterizo, you lose your stability, and everything's up for grabs. And Peter says, don't do this. Why? Because you want to instead grow in the grace 
the charis and the knowledge, the gnosis, these words, grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, to Him be glory. This is a doxology, a prayer. We'll talk about a doxology here at the end of Jude. Turn, if you would, a couple of books to the right, and we're going to look at these same things as we close from the chapter, from the book of Jude. Jude 17, picking up the same themes as before. Scoffers are going to come following their ungodly passions. These things we've covered. A doxology that Jude brings, one of the most famous doxologies in Scripture, is a a praise that describes what God has done, and then it ascribes to him the attributes that made whatever he did was possible. So if we say, uh, we praise God for his healing, for he is the great doctor, he's the great healer, that, that becomes kind of biblically a doxology. And so he has this beautiful doxology, and he says this. Now, to him, uh, let's look at, I'll go ahead here to verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, be glory, majesty, dominion, and honor before all times and now and forever. When I think about that, those words, we sing them in a song that we're going to close with in a a moment. Now to him who's able to keep you from falling, that word there, is to keep, you, to keep your feet firmly planted. It's the sterizo idea, to keep you from tripping up, from falling over, to keep you rooted to an objective truth, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When I think back, I've been walking with the Lord for 45 years. And when I think back, uh, frankly, in sort of a confession, I, I'm sometimes surprised I'm still walking with the Lord, let alone a pastor. Um, there have been uh, a couple of times when early on, hasn't been recent, but I really thought, I just can't do this. It's just too hard what God's asking me to do. Um, I'm falling regularly. Um, I just don't know that I can do this. Certainly, since Nancy and I planted Living Hope 17 or 18 years ago, there have been times when I thought, let's just close this baby down. It just, it just isn't going to happen. And I say that to say this, I really feel like Jude, this brother of Jesus who has trusted in in his Savior, he says, look, it's not up to you to keep from stumbling. And this word stumbling, uh, all when it's used throughout Scripture, it's not an uncommon word, but it's, it's stumbling into sin such that you walk away from the faith. That's kind of the idea of this. It's not that you don't make mistakes. Clearly, Scripture teaches that we're all going to have our times when things don't go well. That's why there's forgiveness available. But he says, if it's up to me, and I look back on my own Christian life, and I look back on my marriage and the times when I think, you know, it's, it's not like I'm such a great guy that I can stay faithful to my wife. I praise God that I've been able to because he keeps me from stumbling. He keeps me from falling. Because he is the one who has provided the way through his Holy Spirit for us to walk in truth. And Jude's words to these people who are being 
deceived. Who they want, uh, these false teachers want to take people down. And he says, if you will put your faith that God is able to keep you from stumbling, because if it was completely dependent on me and my faithfulness and my willpower, I guarantee you I know myself too well and I know that I would be likely to quit. It's not that he's unworthy. It's that I get tired. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for this pandemic to be over. I'm ready to be closer than six foot to somebody that's not named McGowan. But in the meantime, if you think to yourself, well, I'm ready for this Christian life. I'm ready to kind of take a break for whatever reason. I want to encourage you like Peter does and like Jude does. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Because Paul taught in the Philippians, he said, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it when at the day of the Lord, at the day of Jesus Christ. We don't know when that day is coming. Could be soon. Maybe it's not soon. In God's eyes, a day is a thousand years, so it's probably going to be tomorrow. At least in God's, the way he looks at time. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, that no one should boast. You are his workmanship. You are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God's prepared them beforehand that you should walk in them. God has great things for us to do. Don't give up. To him who's able to keep us from stumbling, he will present you blameless before the presence of God. I want all of us, each of us listening, to be in God's presence when the clouds are rolled back and we think, it's real. It's all real. I didn't make this up. This is truth that when we're presented before the throne by Jesus, our Savior, We can say, thank you, Lord, that while I wasn't perfect, I didn't do everything right, that you kept me from stumbling, from falling away. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have taught us throughout these years that there will be people who will try to trip us up and that we should be wise and nuanced in our listening, that we should listen with an ear to your scripture and an ear to your Holy Spirit, not trust in our dreams or feelings alone. Lord, we thank you that you are good and that you keep us from falling and that in times when we or others we love, we think they're just going to give up because they just can't reconcile their faith with this or with that. That when we look to Jesus Christ, when we look in your word, we see a true reflection of absolute truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, we just acknowledge and come to you, begging you, Lord, to keep us tied to the truth that never fails. And that that faith that was once proclaimed and reserved and is true forever, that it would be true for us today. Lord, from wherever we're watching, from whatever home, whatever county, whatever state, whatever country, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would assure us that you have us in your hand, that we will persevere having been called 
loved and chosen by you. That our job is to continue to turn to you, to confess our sin, to repent and to look to Jesus in every way, to be loved by him and love in return. And Lord, in that, we ask you to keep us until the day of Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.